Welcome to the Glasgow Short Film Festival 2021 podcast. I'm Sana Yahul, the festival's co-director, and on behalf of our entire team, thank you for listening. Named in honour of one of Scotland's greatest filmmakers, the Bill Douglas Award for International Short Film was inaugurated at GSFF in 2012 by Bill's lifelong friend and collaborator, Peter Jewell. Each year, a jury of filmmakers and film curators chooses a film from our international selection that best reflects the qualities found in the work of Bill Douglas. Honesty, formal innovation, and the supremacy of image and sound in cinematic storytelling. To celebrate the award's 10th anniversary this year, we checked in with all previous winners. In this episode, we present a conversation between French-Canadian filmmaker Charlie Marbreus, who won the 2018 Bill Douglas Award with her film Strange Says the Angel, and one of that year's jury members, Daniel Ebnach, co-founder and artistic director of Vienna Shorts. In Strange Says the Angel, we follow Nina, a young girl staying in the French countryside with her aunt and father, as she tries to figure out what her place is in a world that is threatened by contamination. You can watch Strange Says the Angel on our screening platform during the entire festival week, along with all other previous Bill Douglas Award winners. And now, enjoy the episode, and hopefully see you online at GSFF21. Alors que s'est-il passé Le petit garçon a-t-il quand même bu au robinet ou dans un cours d'eau Une cellule d'urgence vient tout juste d'être mise en place par la préfecture. Ah oui, une Et pour organiser leur rapatriement, puisque vous l'avez dit, la décision a été prise de fermer la colonie par mesure de précaution. Il parle de quoi L'enfant décédé à partir de rien. De 39 Allez, on change. De... I think we start with a hello, everyone, um, and I now have the pleasure of speaking with our award winner, the filmmaker slash artist slash director, Shalimar Preuss. I remember together with my jury colleagues um, in 2018, um, the American producer and distributor, Madeleine Molyneux, and uh, the Dutch filmmaker, David Dijkstra. I do remember that we had these very long discussions on the whole program and I remember that we felt especially intrigued by your film, which we talked for a very long time about. Um, it's an 18-minute short called Étrange Dilange, Strange, says the angel, um, which was written and directed by you. And yeah, a film so pure and so honest and spontaneous and naturalistic on the one hand, but at the same time so mysterious and magical and like full of heart and soul it was a very special film for us so this is summer in the film we have a family spending time in a in a house um, at a river in the basque country um, it's mostly from the perspective of the mother and the youngest daughter um, and there's this feeling and air of life and death of um, a birthday but also this con- contamination. Um, maybe you can talk a bit how, you, how it came about and what the context was and 
if it also was maybe inspired by some specific events. Well, thank you for your kind words. It also took a long time to make this very short film, um, several years, in fact, because I met in the Frenois this uh, woman uh, choreographer, dancer, Eleni Ratchet, who is in the film. The film came out of our budding friendship and um, she took me to meet her family um, in their vacation house. And at the same time, I heard about the death of a young boy in a summer camp. Um, he died from drinking the tap water. This is in France. This was not very far away from where this vacation house is. The film started to emerge then. I started writing and it was supposed to be, uh, um, I was supposed to write with Hélène. I wanted to include her in that process and that didn't work so well. So in the end, it took us a while to realize this, to give that up. Um, and I had started recording conversations uh, that I was having with her family, for, with members of her family, one-on-one one -on -one with me, um, talking about mm, their lives, what I had noticed, uh, and also love and death and all the other important things, including with the young girl in that, uh, who's in the film and who was five years old at the time. And from that, I, I took all these things and started writing and went back the next summer uh, to spend some time with them and shot a little bit more, uh, this time with camera, with a camera on my own. Um, and again, went back home and redirected the, I mean, like changed the direction slightly to fit what they were telling me to bring in some elements that I had not found. And I also couldn't find uh, financing for this film. So I was also stepping back from things that I had imagined and that weren't possible because I needed more um, support. The year went by and I still had um, no funding. So I decided to go along, I mean, go ahead and, and, try to make something out of the, the the bits I had, bits and pieces here and there that weren't even that didn't even belong to the same story because over two summers things had moved and changed and and this was the third summer already. And also I had never shot on my own. I'm not experienced uh, in that at all. Um, so I went with my little camera and sound recording device and and these uh, very um, patient people took time off of their vacation <laughs> off of their family vacation to turn in the heat and um and the very cold water also so that's how the film came about because i was also wondering when you say like you wrote or you tried to write it in the beginning together and then you changed direction a lot i was wondering because all this this dialogues um they seemed so natural as if you just happened to be there when they took place basically um how much of the story 
line was was written at that point or how much was also changed in the process then when you were there like just also by hearing what they were talking about or did they know what they had to talk about it's a mix of all this because some of it was recorded when i was just a bystander to their life some of it was prompted on my part uh, but based on something i had heard them say or do in the previous years um, and some of it is completely fictional and I'm staging everything. In fact, a lot of it is staged in, I mean, quote unquote. <laughs> the film was nourished by their lives. The, the, the grandmother um, obviously had bre breast cancer. The film shows it, shows her, her body. And that, to me, felt really relevant to what I was going after, um, the sense of being mortal and um, what does a child understand of all this and what stories can she make up from the facts and the, 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 the experiences of the adults around her and the silences, of course, what's, what's missing, the pieces that are missing, what they don't want to explain to her for, for fear of, of hurting her or scaring her. I mean, this, this scene in the, in the car that you just mentioned, um, when there is this talk uh, about the breast cancer and also um, showing it, uh, uh, the scars of the surgery, um, and at the same time seeing that the little girl then uh, listens in um, um, with big eyes, I think it's such a such a powerful and beautiful scene, um, and I think also one of the most powerful I've seen in, in cinema in, in general. I, th I think it's such a strong scene. Also because we can feel how so many questions must pop up in this little head of the girl <laughs> at the time. Like, how did you also work uh, with her? She was fantastic. She was an actress, um, a born actress, in the sense that she's she was never doing things over again she was it was always something new um she, she she was so how can i say this reactive or responsive to whatever was going on around her that it, it seemed like she was never acting even when i was asking her to say such and such um sentence or or stand here or move there <laughs> and because it's a mix of uh some images are really um from her life the scene with her father was really caught on when she says uh, when she tries to kiss him and she says she tells him how much she loves him uh, and some are really scripted so it's really going back and forth all all the time i really enjoyed in this film not having a part to um offer someone that i would cast I, there was a bit of that and a and a lot of I chose. I choose someone. I chose Nina to to work with her, and she and so much emanates from her. And so it's always going back and forth between her and what I'm suggesting between her and me. Of course, all the fantasies that I give her in the film are really mine. I mean, those are scripted. She knew what was more or less going on. She didn't really care so much about what was going on, in fact. She, she wasn't involved, but she was very present physically. Uh, and this is very interesting. I mean, 
um, very interesting to film someone who's listening, really listening, for instance. And she would really listen, even if you were telling her um, the same thing over and over again. I'm thinking of the opening scene with Hélène, with her aunt, who's, um, and they talk about names that um, they could find for babies and how many children they want to have and things like that. Hélène's part is scripted and the child's much less but I'm also prompting her as the scene is going sometimes. And um, we also had to rework a lot of the sound because I did a very poor job at recording the sound. I don't know how people in documentary do it, but sometimes, most times there's, there's at least two of them. Yeah, but it, I mean, it had this very natural, almost documentary feeling, especially the scenes with the girl. I mean, it reminded me very much of my niece, who's about the same age. And... This she always is in the game, always very present um, when it's about a game. But it's and even when she seems not to listen, she's always listening in, and she has always this extreme curiosity about everything that's going on um, around her. Um, and it's just everything she says seems so natural. Then, and I, I had the same with Nina. So there's this. Um, yeah, as you say, like this is extremely strong presence then also um, in front of the camera. Yeah, and it's fascinating how um, nothing, I mean, with children, how, with some children at least, when you, you, you feel like nothing is going on around them, they have a, it's uneventful, their, their life is uneventful. And at the same time, they're building imaginary worlds and, and, and but not worlds so much as just uh, theories on life and death and everything else in this case on death that's fascinating there's there's this intense life um that's going on it, it feels so fitting it could totally be her world it um it could totally be her imagination running wild but at the same time as the uh, the realism is also so so strong this naturalistic depiction of what's going on the portrayal of this of this summer it still catches you by surprise when uh, this magical elements um, start to come in or the rituals even the fireworks in uh, on the on the river it has this kind of dreamy atmosphere almost um, although it feels so uh, real uh, what is talked about and what is happening so this this contrast is also something that developed basically if i understood that right just in in the process yes but but of course it's chosen um for instance the the they have this tradition of um launching the fireworks from a boat drifting down the river that ends up burning um and i had seen that when i was visiting the first year and kept it in mind and to me it felt like it it reminded me of offerings on the in you know in india on the rivers and it fits completely this um world that i was building of a decaying poisonous environment that's yet so beautiful lush and green yeah i only chose elements from their lives that seemed relevant to my film i guess yeah, it, it it felt a bit like a funeral. Very strong scene. Um, I, actually, when you also say like, because I, I read also some reviews about the film, and some of the reviews put the film like in in the future, uh, like or uh, felt that it was set in the future, um, in this like an apocalyptic uh, environment where everything is already 
contaminated and and as you said decaying um but for me it felt so present uh, like in in the here and now um maybe now even more when when we think about like in in the water it's invisible the contamination and we don't see it now we we have this contamination in the air with the coronavirus around us we don't see it but it is there so maybe it even feels more present watching it now again is this an apocalyptic um film or like a, a maybe also f a future that you're depicting there um in a way or is it no uh, as you were saying uh, for me it, it i didn't have to go <laughs> anywhere in the future everything was there I, I investigated a little bit just about the area, the river. How was it five years ago, ten years ago? I learned a lot of things because they had um, they um, excavated gravel from the riverbeds, and so that changed completely the um, way the river flows, and therefore it changes the banks of the river to the fish population <laughs> of the river uh, with the. Um, farmers on each anyways uh, this little this this tiny piece of land uh, this tiny piece of the world i mean it's still beautiful but it's uh, been polluted by uh human activity i was very um shocked and obsessed by this story of the boy the not the story this reality of uh, this young boy dying in a summer camp from drinking water that was not uh, fit for drinking. All this feels very present to me. Yeah, it is totally threatening. And then, of course, as you say, you have this—you have the beautiful nature there. Everything seems extremely idyllic. Um, the danger that that is created is basically created by the humans that are interfering with this nature that is there and with the uh, environment that is um, obviously. Um, not in a good shape anymore. Is this something that like also accompanies your work if if you want like to uh, this relationship between uh, humans and nature and human and uh, in their environments? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, beyond my work, it just it's just with me like most everyone. I mean, probably. As you say, I guess it's more today it, with uh, COVID-19 it feels so obvious to say. I, I guess all I can say is where there's fear, there's also um, worldview and therefore a story. And that's what's going on in the child's head and imagination. She's trying to make sense of the fear she feels in people around her. You know, the sickness of her grandmother, um, her aunt who's, uh, who doesn't have children, the adults that don't um, that don't explain what's going on to her about what's um, been being said on the radio about the kid who died, all of this. Yeah, and I mean, it, it also doesn't change. Like this is something. It's not only the child that doesn't understand this or what or tries to make sense of these things. I think this doesn't change when you grow older. <laughs> you you always try to make sense of the things around you to fight this um to fight a certain kind of fear that that so easily creeps up uh <laughs> to, to yourself um and i mean um maybe this is also why it's so easy then in a way for a, an audience to be in this or to to kind of yeah to really relate to how the girl feels and how she 
how she makes sense of it. Right. There's a helplessness that we all have to come to terms with. Yeah, I, I, no, you're you're right. In, I mean, I loved filming her face, and um, it had to be her because she's puzzled and solid at the same time and so alive and uh, attentive, and sometimes she looks fearless. Um, I don't know. I just felt it was a beautiful mixture. One thing that uh, I think was really, really striking uh, to us that not, not only then in the end, um, and we don't want to... Uh, give away anything here but like um throughout the film that there is this extremely powerful shot um and even though you said that it was difficult to work with the sound and i do feel a lot of of this trust in this filmic process as well maybe maybe there is this relationship uh, a strong relationship also there's something a little bit sophisticated maybe that i'm um, trying to build um, without it showing in the images, at least in the camera work and the colors, or at least I'm attentive to all these things, to all the ingredients as much as I possibly can. For me, it feels like the quality of the um, of the picture, for instance, really is the thing that conveys the meaning. Thank you for listening to this episode. Before we finish, a few shout outs. Glasgow Short Film Festival is made possible thanks to the generous support of Screen Scotland and Film Hub Scotland. This podcast was produced for us by Helena Rifai, with music by Lewis den Hertog. We'd love to hear your responses to this episode and our festival programme, so get in touch. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Glasgow Short. Enjoy the festival! Enjoy the festival!